Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're going to do a little bit of review. So we put together a lot of our thoughts about the first line last time, and I asked for audience participation, and I'll ask for that again, because some people may have been germinating thoughts between last week and now. So what does it mean when we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad? It might mean, listen up, O Jewish people, or in the Midrash, listen, Father Jacob, or Listen, O you who are God wrestlers, Hashem is our deity, God's proper personal name, which either mean, could not, I don't want to say either, because it has so many possibilities, could mean God's attribute of mercy balances God's attribute of severity, or it could mean, Hashem could mean beingness, the God who causes all to be, is our deity, or uh, being itself, the, the people who get very uh, contemporary mystical about what Hashem's name means, existence itself, our deity, Hashem Echad, this deity, however we explain this name, is one, one as opposed to many, one as opposed to three, uh, the unity of all, the, un- the unity that underlies everything, or Echad meaning alone, Hashem alone. So we talked about multiplicity of meanings of this one sentence. By the way, there's 35 pages, a 35-page se- section in this book, Thinking About God, about what does it mean when we say Hashem is one, okay? Citing many thinkers. Um, um, and we paused last time and we said... Does anyone want to share any of their personal kavana or your intention or resonance when you say this line? Because we did say that the halakha tells us that you must have kavana for this line and for all its words. If you don't have kavana for the rest of the Shema, you're not really focusing, you're on autopilot. That's okay, you don't have to go back. But this line you must have kavana for, which means it must be pretty important. So anything else that anyone wants to share lingering over from last time about what are your thoughts or associations when you say this line? That's a direct question. What do you think about? What does it mean to you when you say this line? Bernie, unmute, please. Uh, Yeah, I I always struggle with it. I mean, I try to uh, get to Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, but I struggle with it regardless of whether in the reform movement, the conservative um, but the, I struggle with it. But there was a thing, you know, in the forward 18 rabbis recently, Rabbi Kligfeld, about this, what, what do you do when you think about God? And Rabbi, Rabbi Laura Geller. Uh-huh. So you were recommending that. Okay. Well, it, it addresses yeah. the problem, this dilemma. Maybe some people don't have it, but I have it, you know. Because how's, how's it listed in the forward? Tell the people how to find it. Well, Bernie. I found it on Rabbi Kligfield's, um, Rabbi Kligfield's uh, Facebook, and okay. then Rabbi Geller told me about it. It's a okay. way to so hunt, around, hunt around online at the forward. So if you don't want to have yeah, to it, pay for the around. book, Thinking About God, you can look at another version of different rabbis thinking about God. Okay. Thank you. Other thoughts, associations that people have when you're saying this line, what is your kavanah? Larry. 
So I wasn't here last week, I apologize. But I think that it's instructive to go through the other references, the other places where the word Shema is used in, in, in the Torah, especially in, in Devarim. Okay, so my question is, what do you do directly? What are you thinking of when you are saying this line? I think of what you mentioned in the beginning. It's basically saying, listen to the people, the children of Israel, um, Hashem, Adonai, except Yudhei Vavhei as the name, that's our God, as opposed to other gods, that uh, Adonai only. Okay, good, thank you. Anyone else? No right answers here, Michael Harris. Yes, I adopted what you said you used, uh, and this was a year ago maybe when we had this discussion. Uh Oh, I gotta be more careful, go ahead. And then I modified it slightly. We, I, I told you about it at the time, but it's been a while. When, when I say Shema Yisrael, I think of God as creating, creating the world. Um, Hashem Elokeinu, I think God taking us out of Egypt. And, um, and uh, Hashem Echad, I, I then think about uh, God accompanying us through the desert to protect us and giving us Torah. Okay, great. That was you. basically because I, you told me that you thought something similar, and I liked it, so I am talking. Okay, great. Thank you. I think what I said, uh, I'm trying to remember now what I said, is I think of Hashem Echad as the God who appears in many manifestations is all one, and those manifestations are, I mean, there are many manifestations, but the ones that are put right before us are first bracha of the Shema, God of the universe, a God of creation, Second bracha of the Shema Ahava God of relationship and revelation. Third bracha of the Shema, which we haven't done yet, we will do, V'yatsiv Nachon, God of history. So God, who we see traces of in nature, relationship, and history, or in fancy theology terms, creation, revelation, and redemption. These are all traces of the one singular God, right? Many manifestations, one deity. I think, I, I think that's the, I think that might've been the thing that I said that you transformed in your mind to your personal version of it, which is good because everyone needs to have their personal version of it. Anyone else? Yeah. Wait, where's the yeah from? Uh, Stevie. Stevie. Hi. Hey. Um, when I, I think of Eloheinu not as much as like, this God as opposed to other gods, but more of us as opposed to not us, as opposed to whether that's opposed to other people or as opposed to just like being some distant God of everybody. But I like we actually have a personal connection with a God who is the unity and the God of the universe and the God of creation. Yes. We have made this commitment to you. It's another way I think uh, it's my understanding of, of what you said, right? Remember, we'll talk about, a few moments, we, we mentioned this Vehafta In the last paragraph, we said, you loved us, you made a commitment to us, and we're now saying reciprocally, reciprocally, we, B'nai Israel, have chosen to make this commitment to you. There's particular- also a little bit of chutzpah that, like, uh-huh. we can claim, the, you know, the God who is one to be ours. Okay, good. Thank you. Anyone else? 
Again, no wrong answers. It's just what is your kavanah? Larry? I got to respond briefly to Stevie, because for me, that's really problematic for, for us as, say, Jews to claim a special relationship with the one God to the exclusion of others, to make that connection is intellectually, but even spiritually problematic for me. Um, I'll just respond. I don't mean to exclude others so much as to just step into having the chutzpah of claiming something personal, if that makes sense. I, I, I guess I said it wrong before, but yeah. what, I, what I mean is to say that, right, whatever, you know, uh, transcendence exists out there, I'm claiming a relationship to, not to exclude anyone else, but just that I have the chutzpah to say that I have a relationship with the God of the universe. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll harmonize the two of you as saying, I have chosen to make this commitment. It's I, but it's also we as a group his, through history have chosen to make this commitment. Uh, what, uh, who was the British wit who coined that short poem? I can't remember who it was. I'm not sure I have it 100% right. Someone can correct me. How odd of God to choose the Jews, but not so odd. The Jews chose God. You know that? Mm-hmm. You've heard that one before. Anyone remember who said that? I didn't make it up. Someone said Nash, that. Nash. Nash? Ogden Nash, you think? Nash, I think. Maybe. Okay, it's a homework for next week. How odd <laughs> of God. How odd of God to choose the Jews, but not so odd the Jews chose God. Okay. Um, any other thoughts about that, about the first line of Shema? And, and because Kavanah, I want to point out, because Kavanah means intention, and by definition, intention has to do probably with me and the me who is praying today is not 100% identical with the me who prayed yesterday or who will pray tomorrow. It probably seems reasonable to suppose that one's kavanah for this line may be different at different times and may change over time because part of the whole essence of kavanah is that is it is spontaneous and alive. So what's your kavanah when you're saying this line is not the same as tell me what these words mean. It's kind of how do you put yourself into these words of the Shema today when you're saying it, which may well be different than last year or next year. Um, to emphasize the, to highlight, I think, the requirement for Kavanah, the Halakha says this line is said aloud, says said by the Chazan aloud, right? And everyone repeats or joins in. Um, and it is said aloud. It's, it's an enactment to rouse one's kavanah, to rouse your personal involvement. You know, if you say something aloud, it feels different than if you think it. I don't know if you have that experience. By the way, when I walk around my uh, house in the morning, let's just say, you know, doing my preliminary brichot hashachar before I put on talis and tefillin, you know, the blessings for your body, for your soul, and for your mind, uh, or even just waking up and saying Mode Ani, I have a different feeling if I say Mode Ani aloud than if I just think Mode Ani or just 
move my lips, but don't make sound come out. Modani, you know, the kind of thing that spreads COVID virus, <laughs> right? Which you can do alone at home. Um, my two cents. Uh, yeah, hold on a second, Jeff. So, so again, so saying, so the halacha says you're supposed to say this aloud. By the way, there are other instructions for other aspects of davening, which you may say it aloud or you may not, or you're supposed to whisper it, but it's not supposed to be louder than this. So there are various parts of davening that have, um, that have particular instructions for how you say them. The first line of Shema, the instruction is clear that you are supposed to say it aloud. And I think this is an enactment to help us rouse our kavanah. Saying it aloud um, uh, helps you feel it. I guess I'll put it that way. Jeff? I think it was Jeff. I can't see yes. you, but I think it was you who wanted to speak. It's hard, it's hard to acknowledge the people who, are, who we can't see because we can't see that you want to speak. Go ahead, Jeff. Um. So this may be a little less theological, but um, from my perspective, what a few years ago I saw a program, an archi- it was a program, I believe it was on the history of Jerusalem, given by a professor, I think at Chapel Hill. It was on one of the great courses. And um, in the archaeological record, I guess, of the Temple Times, yes. um, there was... I know they found a lot of houses that had a lot of altars and statues in them at a time where, and this, these were Jewish settlements. And for me, it gives me a little perspective on the issue of uh, one God and more of a historical record of what an issue it was back then. And yeah. so that's what comes to mind now after I saw that program. It just gives it a little more perspective, less theological, but... Uh-huh comes to mind a lot. Great. Okay. Uh, although I'm not sure it's not theological. It sounds theological to me, but I, I don't mind if you call no it theological. Okay. Okay. Any other thoughts on first line of the Shema? I think we'll move on. And we talked about Shema. We talked at some length about Baruch Shem Kvod Machuto, several reasons we said why it said silently. By the way, now, again, I want to remind people, if I refer to something that we did and you missed it, uh, you can find that podcast in the past and go um, find it. So we talked about three reasons why Baruch Shem Kvod Machuto is said softly or silently, right? Because it's, and it's not part of the Deuteronomy text. And we also talked about how these two lines uh, are, are um, understood by some to um, express the Kabbalistic balance between Sovev and Mimale, God who is distant, uh, and God who is close, God who is lofty, and God who is personal and imminent, right? Is that God out there? And Baruch, in the sense of flowing, right? God's shame and kavod and machut flows into everything in the world. Um, okay, and then we go on with Deuteronomy. Ve'avta, which can grammatically, technically, could either be a future or a command. In this context, it's a command. It means you, it means thou shalt, finger wagging, thou shalt love, command form. Okay? So we're going to obviously have to talk about how can you command someone to love and what does that mean? So you shall, you must love Hashem, your deity. Notice we said Hashem Elokeinu, 
we, the Jews as a group, are claiming. And now we're saying Hashem Elohecha to singular you. Okay, by the way, all the yous in Ve'ahavta is singular you. All the yous in Vaya in Shamoa is yous guys or y'all. It's plural you until near the end. So this in Ve'ahavta, it's singular you. So thou shalt love Hashem, your Lord, your deity. How? With all your heart, mind, with all of your life force, and with all of your me'od, which is a very unusual word in context and very hard to translate. The commentators understand it in a variety of ways. And the reason it's hard is because me'od normally is a, I can't remember if it's an adjective or an adverb. Uh, it might be both. But here it's used as a noun. So literally it means your muchness. That, that would be the closest because it means much as an adjective, right? Or many, right? So your ma'od means your muchness. Rashi, uh, you know, following one classic interpretation, says it means all of your possessions and wealth, stuff, okay? So love God with your mind, with your life force, and with all of your resources. I guess that would be a more, uh, more elevated word than stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I just this morning got, you know, in one of my eight zillion Elul things that I subscribe to that I can't keep up with, um, I got one that happened to have a translation of the Shema, and it said, oomph, for this mm-hmm. word, right? With all your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your oomph. I don't know if that adds anything for you. Um, pause and comment. I just want to pause for a comment. Actually, before I pause for comment, uh, the, the simpler word of, say, of saying your heart would be libcha. Lev in biblical Hebrew is a noun that's sometimes lev and sometimes levav, right? So the simpler way of saying it would be libcha. So the classical commentators say, why is it livavcha with two bets? The two bets connotes your two yetzers, your two inclinations, another Elul theme, your yetzer hatov and your yetzer hara. You have to devote all of your inherent inclinations, the, or, or we would say, sorry, Freud would say the id and the superego right? Your, your selfish, self-centered instinct and your altruistic doing for others instinct. You have to devote them both to Hashem. It's another way of saying all sides of you, all parts of you. Obviously, is a way of saying all aspects of you. Uh, but then we, we do get into the weeds sometimes in terms of the inter- interpretation of what are these three words exactly. Any thoughts on that, on those three words? I'll open the floor here and how you think of it. Again, you don't have, it's okay if you don't think about it because you don't have to have kavanah for this paragraph, only the first line. <laughs> but to the extent that you might think about it, what do you think of when you're saying it, Larry? I mean, from my, my thinking about it is very simple. It's the three ways in which you can actually relate. One is, since you, you taught us that the mind was considered to be in the heart, so the first is intellectual. Okay. The nephesh is spiritual. Okay. 
and the Mordecha is your physical abilities. Great. So, so good. Okay. Mind, spirit, and physicality, which includes resources. Great. Meyer? I just have a question. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted answers and no questions, but okay. Go ahead. The Jewish class, isn't it? Yeah. We'll um, um, have to start with and. And I'm just curious to know that's because it's out of context. Is that why? Do we know why we're starting with and? Uh, it's real. Thank you. That's a great question. It's really not and. Okay. Um, we translate as and, but it's not. It's the vav, which takes ahavta, which would normally mean you loved. And in biblical Hebrew, if you put a vav in front of it, it makes it future or command. So it's actually a grammatical, it does a grammatical thing. It doesn't really mean to and. Thank you. As opposed to does mean with all your heart, mind, and with all your nefesh, and with all your ma'od. So vav is a conjunction in Hebrew that does a lot of different things depending on context, but I'm glad you asked. So that first vav is not and. It converts, it converts you, you loved into you will love. Converts the tense. Is that what's sometimes referred to as the reversing vav? Yes, it is, called, it is incorrectly called the vav ha'hipuch or the reversing vav. We all learned it that way, um, but Bible scholars call it, I think they call it vav consecutive or something. They have a, they have a fancier term for what it is, which, which doesn't translate as reversing. I'll, I'll look it up. I don't remember. Um, but, can yeah. you repeat what you said about me'od decha? Well, me'od... Oh, more. Oh, okay. Ma'od is normally an adjective, which means much. Much. Tov ma'od means or much or very. Tov means good. Tov ma'od means very good, right? God on each day of creation looks at creation, says it's tov. But on uh, Friday, it's all done. God looks at it and it is tov ma'od. So ma'od is normally a modifier. It's an adjective or it could probably sometimes be an adverb. It's not normally a substantive noun, a thing that stands on its own. So it's like saying, Jonathan, I want you to do this with your very. I'm using an adjective as a noun. And it's odd. I, I mean, you could look at a concordance and see how many other places in the Bible ma'od could be a noun. And I'm not saying there aren't any, but I'm saying... It's pretty unusual. So that's why the commentators really remark on it. So that's why really it means your veriness or your muchness. Your oomph is really just as good as any other thing. And your oomph isn't any less translate, uh, accurate translation than Rashi's understanding of it means all your possessions. Okay. Avi, I have an idea. Larry? Yeah, I have an idea. So... Um, the Vahafta is a, um, what's the form? A, a command. Yeah, command. So there's two kinds of commands. There's the command that says, you should go or go. Yeah. It's in, to me, it's interesting that, that um, Rabbi Saxon, the Koran Sidur, translates it as, yeah. love the right. Lord your God. He doesn't right. say you shall. And the reason I say that is, I'm switching completely. Imagine I were to say to you, hit, hit the ball. And I said, hit the ball hard. Yes. 
hit the ball with your okay. hardest, could that me'odecha be like your most? Love with sure. your most. Great. I like that. Why not? Okay. We're going to go on. We're not going to, obviously, we're not going to finish the first paragraph today. We're going to go on a little bit more. By the way, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean in context? Obviously, we loop back. You know, the more important a passage is, the more frequently you do it, the more often you loop back in your mind and say, oh, in retrospect, I think maybe it means more like that. So I don't want anyone to feel like, uh, you know, we've exhausted this and we won't come back to it. And we will stop within five minutes. Okay, but maybe I'll do another sentence. And these divarim, which in modern Hebrew means things, but in biblical Hebrew probably means words. And these words, which I command you today, they should be, again, in, in, in bad translation, we translate it should be in your heart, be on your heart, but it's really they should be in your heart mind. Again, the heart is the seat of thought and feeling in, in the Bible, right? It's not the brain. So it's the same way we say in your heart or in your mind. They, they com- heart and mind are combined in lave. Okay, biblical Hebrew. So these words, these devarim, which I command you, should be in your lave, in your mind. So that raises the obvious question, which is, what are those devarim? So it could, since this is in Moshe's second discourse in the book of Deuteronomy, it could mean all the commands that I'm going to give you in this second discourse. It could mean the whole book of Dvarim, I think, you know, most traditional pre-modern, pre-Bible scholar um, thinkers about the book of Deuteronomy don't necessarily read it as three separate speeches, okay? So a traditional reading would be everything in Sefer Dvarim, all of which is Moshe's recounting of the history of the Jewish people, with God and their obligations moving forward. And as we just read this past week, and the blessings and curses, what's at stake if you obey or disobey, right? It's Moshe's farewell speech. Um, Or, of course, more expansively, Dvarim could really mean uh, the whole Torah, the whole ball of wax, okay? So it could mean any of those. by the way, it's also very clear, very near the Ten Commandments in the Moshe's second discourse. So some people think it means the words of the Ten Commandments. That's what it's referring to. The core covenant is the te- from Sinai is the Ten Commandments. And Moshe is saying, these are the words which you need to keep in your mind. Right? And in your mind, what does that mean? Uh, um, I think the paragraph is going to go on to explain that to us. It's going to talk about teaching about it and talking about it and thinking about it and writing about it. So I think the, the, the Hafta paragraph is about to amplify, well, tell me what it means to have it in your mind. Does that mean I'm supposed to think of that and nothing else? Is there supposed to be nothing else in my heart all day long other than those words? How about like I'm a farmer and I have to think about how to weed my field? right? So does it mean never forget them? Right? So it can mean a variety of things. I would argue that um, in this context, in the next two sentences, next two verses, it's going to tell you 
Moshe is going to tell you what he means by keeping it in your mind. He's going to tell you, talk about it all the time and imbue your life with it and teach it to your families, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we'll get to that next week. Meyer? Just a quick question. Yeah. Um, you keep saying in your heart, which is interesting. Or, yeah. So what does that mean grammatically? I mean, because it's continually translated as on your heart. Do it's you think good, that there's a distinction there? It's a good question because, because um, the Torah could, certainly could have said bilvavecha, and there are other places in the Torah where it says bilvavecha. So it's not, it's not a... Um, it's not a grammatical thing that we say, we wouldn't say, oh, in English, when you say in your heart, the way you say that in biblical Hebrew is alavavecha, we would not make that statement, right? Because there are plenty of places in Tanakh where it says bilvavcha or bilvavi in my heart. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll let your, I'll say that's a good question and we'll let it hang. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you one possible answer, by the way. Um, Although it doesn't, this, this is a, I believe it is a slight stretch. It is a stretch, but only slight, is that generally covenant formulas in the ancient world, including in ancient Israel, were actually written out. They might be written on a, I always pronounce the word steel, S-T-E-L-E, although apparently it's really pronounced steely or stele or something like that. You know, a monumental stone thing which would have the covenant etched in it like you've seen pictures of the code of Hammurabi right it's on one of those big black things and it's written on it and that was done in ancient Israel also so a small stretch is to say just as words of an earthly covenant with a king let's say are inscribed on an actual object this means write these your heart is the monument your mind it's being in your mind means it's as if it's inscribed on your heart mind. That's the monument that you carry around with you internally everywhere, where God's words are incised, okay? Even though there is no verb here, which actually means incised. Michael, you're waving a sidur at me. Yeah, this, is want- this is Seem Shalom. Yep. And maybe that the editor took that to be a figure of speech. Yeah words about heart and translated it with an English figure of speech saying, yep. you know, take to heart. I like that. Take to heart. Okay. So he didn't, he didn't want to just say should be in your heart, should be in your mind. The editor wanted the fact that it's not that the fact that the Hebrew picks alavavecha and not bilvavecha wants to elevate it somewhat more than the idiom. It's not just an idiom. It also, I think elevates it, Right. If I said to you, I want you to take this to mind, that's kind of different than I want you to have this in your mind. Uh, it, it intensifies it, maybe. So it's an idiom which actually makes you think about, well, what is it that I'm supposed to do with these words exactly? Right? When I say, oh, remember these words, it's different than I say, take these words to heart. Right? We all, we've done that. Any of us who've had been blessed with children, you know? I want you to take this to heart. It doesn't mean just remember what I said. It means, hey, I really want you to think about it and take this seriously and figure out how you can take ownership of it. That's what it means when we say, I want you to take this to heart. All right, we're running a little over, a few minutes over. Let's wrap it up for today. Everyone stay healthy, do God's work, and God willing, we'll see each other next week.
You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.